And uh, as we get into this today, there's something about home. Home is a place that, that is a place that love lives, right? If it's done well, if it's done right. And we know that the church is meant to be a home where we find home with God and with each other. And, and today I want to speak to you about this idea of the road forward. And, and there's times where to go forward, we have to, to look back to, to deal with some things and to actually return and find God in the middle of it. Two years ago this weekend, I actually took a trip back home uh, from Michigan, if you didn't know that. And uh, so I on, grew up on one side of Michigan, on the east side, and uh, then spent the last 25 years or so on the west side of Michigan. And so coming into this weekend, this very weekend two years ago, I told my wife Cindy, and I said, hey, I just feel like God wants me to, to go back home, like to my roots, where I'm from. I hadn't been there in, in actually a couple decades. And I want to show you a couple of pictures today just to take you down memory lane. Hey, here's the first. Uh, this is where my love for water and the beach, and you're like, wait, where is the beach? Uh, it's off to the side there. It looks nothing like South Beach or any of the other beautiful beaches here. Uh, but I grew up on Lake Huron, and this is where that love for being around water and, and being around the beach was birthed. Now, this next picture is actually uh, the home I grew up in in elementary. Uh, this was our childhood home. Now, for all of you true Floridians, that white stuff there, that's snow, okay? And you have no idea how thankful this guy is to be out of that this winter, Okay, I'm going to just say God is good, okay? And so this is the home I grew up in, a home that, that was setting in motion a faith that, that we would go to church, seeds were planted, and, and my dad actually was a first-generation Christian father that, that broke the cycle of destruction in our family roots. And, and so I found faith at a young age. Uh, in fact, here's a picture of the church where God really began to move in my heart. Uh, where the Holy Spirit began to show up uh, around age 11 and really began to, to move and do something new in me. And so I went back and I'm taking these pictures and I'm remembering this moment at around age 11 where I actually uh, had at a tent revival really committed my life to Christ and felt called to be a pastor at age 11. It freaked me out. It still does if I'm honest. And, and so it was a calling from God that was so clear. Here's a picture of that field. And so two years ago this weekend, I went back for the first time in over 30 years. I'm in my 40s if you're doing the math, okay? And, and so I'm standing in that field and I'm just weeping because I'm remembering as I re went back, as I took this road back, I met God in the middle of that and found again how good he was. How many of you know we have a great heavenly father, a God who is incredible and wants to, to meet us with his love? And so as I did that, God began a healing work because there was also some things that had happened in my childhood that had traumatized me, that had created wounds, that, that needed healing. You see, God doesn't just save us. He also delivers us and heals us and sets us free. And by going back and remembering how good he was, I began to get a new perspective on what I had been through and how God wanted to birth purpose through some of that pain. How God wanted to bring restoration and healing. Jump ahead about 18 months. 
this past July. I'm praying about, Lord, I've heard about this church in Florida called Pathway. And and I've, I've heard about it. Is this actually God somewhere that you might take me and my family? Is this, is this maybe where you want us? And in the middle of those prayers in July, before I had even really put my name in as a candidate here, God gave me a very clear word out of Amos 9. You want to hear it? <laughs> You're like, yeah. <laughs> All right. Because I believe that in that moment, I knew it was so clear from God that it wasn't just for me, but it was for what I was going to be a part of. I believe that's for here. I can say that with a great confidence and a great faith in God. Here's what it says. Picking up in verse 11. In that day, I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen, and I'll repair its breaches, and I'll raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name declares the Lord who does this. Behold, the days are coming, coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountain shall drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. Can you picture in the first verse that I read the restoration that God wants to bring? Can you hear in the second verse that I just read the flourishing that God has Our God wants to bring harvest and bear fruit. Goes on to say, I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they will rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land, and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them. Through these few verses, God made it clear to me that, that what he was calling us to, to be a part of, was a place where God was bringing restoration, where he was bringing flourishing, and where he was bringing a sense of rootedness, a connectivity and community to one another, a, a sense of family that would make a difference beyond the church walls. I'm going to pray over this and invite you into that, because after I pray, we're going to dive into Luke 15. And we're going to look at a story that has a lot to say and I believe will speak directly to our hearts. And for some of us, it may take us on a little bit of a road back today, but again, the message is about the road forward. That God may need us to look at some things to return to God, to return to his goodness, to experience restoration with him and with others. And you need to know our God is right there with open arms He is ready to rejoice and to celebrate anyone who is returning to him. Amen? Which, by the way, if you were here last week behind me, this welcome home set, when those lights are on, it means that somebody came to faith this week, and we had at least two that I'm aware of. Praise God. Praise God. Let's pray over this together and get our hearts ready for what I believe God wants to speak to us through Luke 15. Father, we love you. We praise you. I thank you, God, for the journey that you've had me on over the last couple of years, healing and restoring, bringing me into a new place with you. Literally, Father, I get to experience that now here at Pathway. I believe that you have that for so many that are going to experience restoration, that are going to experience flourishing, bearing fruit in new ways. Father, I just believe 
that even that sense of rootedness, connectivity, real family and community, God, we speak life over pathway and all those that will be here today and moving forward. And Jesus, as we turn to Luke 15 and your word, I pray that a story that for many of us is familiar would open our ears, our hearts, and our minds to you in new ways. So Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. We thank you in advance. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen, amen. Amen. You'll turn with me, as I said, to Luke 15. Last week, we looked at two stories of the lost and found. We looked at two moments with the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin of how our God is a God who goes after and seeks the lost that they could be found, that heaven, in fact, celebrates and rejoices. And as we launch today into verse 12, we look at a story that is very well known for many of us. Many of us know it as the story of the prodigal son. As we unpack this today, it's really a story of, yes, what this prodigal did that we can learn from. But it's also a reminder of a heavenly father who has forgiveness and love and welcomes us home in ways that are so radical that they challenge and stretch us to receive him. So let's take a look at this, picking up, actually, in verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. I'm going to just pause there and stop And I want you to think about a couple of things before I read on. For for this young son to come to him, he wasn't the older son, he was the younger son. The older son would get basically two-thirds of the inheritance, he would get a third of it by custom. To receive that in that moment was basically saying to dad, dad, I know better than you, I want control of this property now. A property that only really is mine when you die. So in some ways, the interpretation could be, Dad, I love you, but I wish you weren't here. Can you imagine what this would have done to that dad? What that would do in that moment to him? And yet, if we're honest, there's moments where we do that as well. Where we look at a heavenly father and we say, God... I know better than you. God, I, I want to take control. I want to do it my way. We have an entire culture built on consumption, don't we, here in America? Your way, right away. Everything custom made to the way you want it. Kind of gets real, doesn't it, when we start to look at it through this lens. And so he, he says, I, I, I want it and It says he then took it and basically liquefied his assets, sold them off so he could go off and go off in reckless living. When he had spent everything, verse 14, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods and the pigs ate and no one 
gave him anything. If you're taking notes, the first thing we see here is this idea of rebellion. It's a self-centered freedom that is an illusion in our culture today. And in fact, that it's an illusion that ultimately leads to disillusionment. You see, what we see with this son is he said, I know better than God, so I want control. I want my freedom. And you need to know that Jesus in Luke 4 makes his mission really clear, doesn't he? He stands up and declares, I've come to set the captives free. We know that the Spirit of God brings freedom. But we have a world that says that freedom is really nobody telling you what to do and the way life was meant to be. There's a clash in our culture today. And for many of us, we're caught in the middle of it. We don't realize that actually what God offers us is not restrictions and regulations. He offers us boundaries for life as it was meant to be. That actually, he says, according to these principles and precepts, according to these ways of living, you will find the most freedom. And as this young man found, when he had freedom, he thought in his own hands, he messed it up. He jacked it up. You know what that means in Florida? Does that translate? I'm from Michigan. Okay, jack, like jacking something? Okay, all right, so it translates. See if you're still awake here. I mean, we often mess things up, don't we? And it creates a disillusionment. For some of us, that can mean a disillusionment with life, with our identity, with our inheritance, with what God has for us, with who he is. It can create this disillusionment, this confusion. And this, in fact, is what is happening to this young man. He sells himself into a slavery to get food, he begins to think about eating what the pigs eat. This is unbelievable. In Jewish culture, to be near swine was to be labeled unclean. This isn't just a bad job and a selling of like who he is. This is the ultimate act of being broken and lost and in the gutter. Some of us have been there, right? Some of us have been in those moments of disillusionment. And we know how good God is when he finds us and when he brings us into freedom. We serve a God who loves us right where we're at. Younger son's real sin began where often many of our sins begin. A prideful thought that says, I know better than God. And it's in that moment that we begin to take control. And when we begin to take control and we take that wheel and we begin to drive and go a different road in a different direction, not only does disillusionment and confusion happen in our lives, but we miss out on hearing the voice of a father who is there to say, I love you and I have so much for you. Henry Nouwen, a famous Author and theologian says this, The farther I run away from the place where God dwells, the less I am able to hear the voice that calls me the beloved. And the less I hear that voice, the more entangled I become in the manipulations and power games of the world. 
I'm calling us back as the rebels. You may not even understand your own rebellion today, but but scripture teaches us that we've all fallen short of the glory of God, that we're all sinners in need of a savior, amen? And so this rebellion is something that we have to look at. And the road forward means we're not going to ignore it. We're going to be aware of it. We're not going to allow it to shame us and, and, and to keep us stuck because you see what the, the younger brother does is he wakes up and he returns. He returns to his earthly father who's a symbol of our heavenly father. He returns and he says, as we'll see here in verse 17, a number of things and it is a beautiful moment of restoration. So let's read it together in verse 17. It says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And I want to just pause there for a moment. Notice what he says here. And it's similar to what we see from the psalmist, the king and the shepherd and the author David in the Psalms. When he has fallen and and realized his sin and awakens, he doesn't first rectify what he had done with others. He realizes his sin was first and foremost against God. See this in Psalm 51. So what does it mean for us to, like this son, realize that our sin, yes, it harms and hurts others and hurts us if we're honest, but it's ultimately starting point where we need to go for forgiveness and restoration is with God. Amen? So he says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off. Now this right here is radical what happens. I I, I want us to, to just, again, remember the context. The son had left in rebellion And in reckless living had messed everything up his father had given him. Can you picture it? He's coming back now to say, hey, take me even to be a servant because I know you treat your servants better than I'm being treated right now. He has no expectation of full restoration. He has no expectation or even belief in what is about to happen. And here's what is amazing. When a rebel returns, when we talk about returning, we talk about coming back to God and who he is and what he has for us. We see that reckless living, when it returns to God, finds reckless love. That in fact, our God is waiting with a reckless love to welcome home and to say, as you repent, do you know what word we, like just say that word with me. We don't like that word, do we? Repent. Okay, that is not a popular word. Like you're not going to go to the Christian bookstore and find a bestseller with the word repent in the title. Very unlikely. It's a word, though, that we need to remember what it means. Because repentance means that we are literally recognizing our sin with God and we're turning a different way. That we're saying, I was going this way, my own way, and I am repenting and returning to God who now gives us the road forward. Amen? Notice how he responds here. 
The Father's love is so, as Pastor Randy said early, lavish. Earlier he said lavished. Check this out. He says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring his hand and or, bring, and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let, let us eat and celebrate. The father is so excited that he runs and he embraces him and he kisses him. This is unbelievable to think about what it means for us that we have a God who in we return, when we repent, when we start to make a movement towards him, he rushes to us. He is ready to be called on. He is ready to save. He is ready to restore and to heal. And he is the same God that we see illustrated here in this passage. Y'all, that should get us more excited than we're acting right now. When I was a teenager, I, uh, as I said, at age 11, I felt called to be a pastor. But in my teen years, I rebelled. I, I, I rebelled in some pretty significant ways. I got angry. I got into athletics. I found alcohol. I started partying. And you're like, whoa, whoa, pastor, second, second Sunday? <laughs> I promise you they interviewed me a lot. <laughs> and so I rebelled during my teen years in a significant way. So much so that the church that I grew up in, I think was praying for me and hoping I didn't show up some Sundays. I I was lost. But I had a dad, an earthly dad, that I had said, had set out to be a first generation Christian father. And he had said, if you're ever in a situation that you don't know how to get out of, you can call me and I will come and help. My junior or senior year, I don't even remember which, I found myself at a party that got out of control. Law officers surrounded the house. I was there with my younger brother. What a great older brother I was. And I called my dad. I said, Dad, he said I could always call. I've really screwed up this time. And he said, son, give me the address and I'll be right there. The love that he showed me that night, I will never forget. He didn't accept. I had a consequence, trust me. (laughs) Dad's at home right now watching this going, amen, he better, you know he did, right? (laughs) I did. And it lasted like a month. (laughs) I'll never forget it. But more importantly, I'll never forget the love and the fact that he drove out late at night through a very difficult situation, telling those officers, my son's in there and he's going home with me tonight. 
That is the heart of our Heavenly Father. When we turn and when we call on Him. In 1 John 1, 9 and 10, it says this. It says, if we confess that He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. These two verses held in tension remind us that we all have things that are rebellious and need to return, but we can return knowing he is faithful and just to forgive our sins. That we don't need to fear him, his love is there, amen? I believe this is a part of the road forward for us and for those that God will be welcoming here. The last piece I want to look at out of verse 22 and through 24. So we have rebellion, we have the return, and then we have restoration. Here's what it says in verse 22 through 24. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. Don't you love how scripture does that continually? That we are dead in our sins but we're alive in Christ. He says my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found and they began to celebrate. Did you know Christians can celebrate and throw parties too? Did you know that? That, that we can have some celebration and some joy at what God is doing in restoration. That we don't have to just come with an anticipation of God meeting us and, and, and leaving us there, but leading us forward with joy because of who he is and what he has for us. And in this moment, the Father's home, what is it filled with? It is filled and flowing with radical love and forgiveness. That's what we see here is a God who restores his identity and his inheritance. You're asking like, well, how do I know that? Let me tell you a little bit about the symbolism of those objects that we read he put on him. The robe would symbolize his position. That actually he was a son. That he had position in the family. The robe was the family's robe. That actually the ring that he had placed on his finger, that, that would have been used for signing legal documents and also symbolizing the family name. It, it meant that he had authority. The shoes, think about it, he came out of selling himself. Slaves would not have had shoes. The shoes that he puts on him symbolized that he was Free, that God had, that the earthly father was saying, I'm giving you freedom again. And then the fatted calf, that is a special celebration. That's like going and getting the best cut of prime rib or, or the best, is it mahi mahi here? Okay. And it's saying, hey, we're going to give the best for this party and this celebration. You see, his identity was being restored and God was also restoring his inheritance. What he had lost, he thought, through reckless living, God had restored through an earthly father who was showing him love and forgiveness. And so I want to ask you a couple questions today to think about before we respond. And remember, I opened earlier with this, this real 
and responsive. That we want to be real enough to say, yeah, I've got some, some junk. Anybody heard the term junk in my trunk? Okay. I, I've got some baggage and some things that I need to deal with. And so the first question I want to ask you today as you think about your next steps, what do you need to do with your own rebellion today? What is the Holy Spirit whispering to you? What is that voice inside of your mind or your heart showing you that is a part of your own rebellion that God is saying, I want you to return to me with that today. I want you to lay that before me. I want to restore you and build your life again in a new way. What is God saying to you today? Because if we each will deal with our individual I'm telling you, renewal and revival is going to break out. But here's, here's what happens. Often in these moments, we're thinking about somebody else, aren't we? You've got somebody else in this room or at home in mind, and you're thinking about their rebellion. When I wonder if God's wanting to highlight yours, not to shame you, not to leave you stuck, but to say, I have more for you. I just want you to turn, to repent, to return to me, that I could start doing a new thing, that you could experience my love and forgiveness, that I could restore your identity as a son or daughter of the king, that I could remind you of the great inheritance I have for you, that what you tried to take and control, I've got even more to give you. That's who our God is, amen? And then the second question I want to ask you today is collectively, is your life, your actions, are they helping or hindering restoration at Pathway? And I'm going to just play the new guy card for a minute. I don't know your story yet. There are parts of your story that may be hindering and hurting maybe have been a part of the hindering and hurting here, either in the church or in the community. I don't know. I just love you either way, just like the, the, the Heavenly Father does. I don't know your story, but you know it. And you know those areas that God may be saying, hey, I want to give you my heart. I want to give you a heart that will flow with freedom and with love that will be ready to, to run and embrace anyone who comes in these doors or finds Jesus outside of these walls. So is your life helping or hindering? And how might the, the Father's heart that we heard about today want to invade your heart today? There's a quote I want to close with and then I want to call us to respond and to pray. Soren Kierkegaard said this. He said, never cease loving a person and never give up hope for him. For even the prodigal son who had fallen most low could still be saved. The bitterest enemy and also he who is your friend could be again your friend. Love that has grown cold can kindle. Do you believe it, Pathway? 
Do you believe that God can kindle love again? I believe those applause will be for heaven as it happens here. And it's going to be a lot louder than what just happened. I'm going to pray us in. And then Pastor Randy and the team are going to lead us in a song of worship. The altars are open. I want to invite you to come pray, pastors and leaders in the room. If you see people, let's pray for them. Let's invite God into this moment and respond to him. He has so much he's ready to do. Father, we love you and we praise you. God, we thank you that when we are rebellious, we can return to you. So God, in this moment, I pray for your spirit to continue to show us areas of rebellion that we could repent and return to you. I pray as well for the love of the Father that we just read about and heard about to flow freely in this place. That we would be a people that love and shower people with love and forgiveness. God, bring waves of restoration to this home and build us in you. Father, we don't want to build anything apart from you. And you are the one that builds your church. So in this moment, Spirit, Holy Spirit, just come. Just have your way. And may we lay it all down so we can take the road forward with you. In Jesus' name, amen.